Chopping wood inside. My name is Murphy, your host. I got uh, my little buddy Tom out there somewhere. Say hi. Go for it. Go for it. Well, that's what we're going to do. We're going to go deep diving into episode eight. Uh, we've been talking about it a lot, but uh, we're going to keep talking more because we got so much uh, time to kill before the next episode. Um, Tom, why don't you lead us off? What, what, what do you want to talk about? Well, I don't want to just focus you know, specifically on part eight. Um, we have the last two podcasts. We we you know went deep dive into what well, we did a recap and then we expounded on that. But um, I want to kind of do, since we're almost at the halfway point, to kind of go maybe into some of these plot threads that we have kind of discussed, but maybe, you know, since we're closer to the halfway point, we're seeing more clarity and kind of, you know, dive into the resurgence of Laura Palmer at some point, since we know in the last episode, she, her presence or her homecoming photo, which you certainly loved, was in uh, that golden orb. Well, I mean, that's really the one flaw I feel in the last episode was that that it just seems so silly to see <laughs> Laura's uh, high school prom <laughs> picture. I wish they could have um, illustrated her essence in a different form somehow. Like, I'm not sure how that would, you'd be able to get that across, but that was my one complaint because it just seems kind of silly and people are tying like, you know, Jesus, religious, I mean, like she's the, the chosen one and stuff. And I don't think we want to, we, I think I like the idea of, of Laura being like just a damaged girl that got fucked up by Bob and her father and she tried to survive as best she could, but that she there was no like, you know, special ordained spirit in her. Um, but it seems like they're going in a completely different direction now. I mean, that, that she is going to be like this special soul that is just on equal um, powers as Bob. I mean, that's what they're implying. I didn't have quite the same reaction. I was actually deeply moved by that scene, but I do agree that there might have been a better shot of Laura Palmer that they could have used. If you recall in the pilot episode when um, they're looking at the picnic video and you know there's that shot of her, that close up where the camera zooms into her eye and then you know there's the reflection of That's James really weird. Motorcycle. I actually thought the same thing. I was like, what, what could be the alternative? And the, I, that is the first image I thought of as well, like weeks ago, but we've never talked about that. I, I, that is a captivating image. That would have been, I think, if for me, I would have maybe chosen that. But I understand why he used the homecoming photo. It's very iconic. And the reason, I mean, kind of thinking about the actual, the, the choosing that, that homecoming photo, if this is to be like the spirit or the essence of, of Laura Palmer um, or some kind of reincarnation, obviously, you know, that photo, I mean, it, it, it comes across, right? I mean, you see that you're, you immediately as an audience, you know, okay, that's Laura Palmer. I'm so familiar with that, but I think it's more symbolic than anything. I don't think that she, at that point, when she goes into the screen, and it's kind of you know you see the orb moving towards the Pacific Northwest. I don't necessarily believe that that means that she is you know we're seeing going to see her birth, her soul being created per se. I think it's much deeper than that and much more mysterious. Uh, and I would tend to fall in line with the theory that if Bob has always been around that possibly Laura has been in different incarnations. So, um, yeah. Well, we have, loves reincarnation. So I'm, I, 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 well, I'm we're seeing it with Ducky as well, right? right? Or with Cooper. Right. I mean, not reincarnated, but we're seeing basically a, a fresh, like a new soul, like a newborn, you know, in an adult body learning how to, you know. Or is it more like a new old soul? I mean, you know, Cooper's still in there. You know? Well, it is Cooper. We just call him Dougie because he's acting. I mean, it's everyone's calling him Dougie. Obviously, he's living as Dougie Jones, but we all know him as Cooper. But no one in that you know town knows him as Agent Cooper, which will be, you know, quite a revelation, I think. And we talked a little bit about this. And I don't know if we've mentioned it on the podcast. The Agent Cooper, his character, one of his, I wouldn't say it's a character flaw, but. He has never been able to have a relationship that didn't really end in a tragic way. I mean, we have Caroline and we have uh, Annie. Um, who else? His mother, if you read the autobiography of, of uh, Dale Cooper, his mother died at a young age. It wasn't tragic. I believe she died of cancer. I could be wrong about that. but And now he's inexorably tied to Laura Palmer. And you, we talked about that scene in the Black Lodge, one of your favorite scenes where... Uh, Laura is looking at him and her facial reactions. It's almost like she seems to know more about, or I'm not saying she's blaming him or anything, but 
I feel that she feels that they're tied together more than Agent Cooper believes that they're tied together in some way. Do you get that sense at all? Uh, I have no idea. I honestly don't. I mean, yeah, I think that I don't think that they're necessarily tied together. But now that I go back and watch some of the earlier seasons and see how touched Cooper is uh, and affected by the lodge and the spirits, and he is like a he's a awakened person. So maybe he is, you know, somehow, uh, you know, some sort of one, one of the golden orbs. Because remember, uh, I did go back and look at that scene with the giant in season two, episode one, and he does like deliver the f- full first golden orb ever into Cooper's spirit. Um, so maybe right, he says, and he say like you forgot something, and he he raises his hand just like he did in that last scene in part eight, or that scene in part eight when he's looking at the screen to you know for the you know for the projectionist to roll camera, roll the footage of the you know, Trinity test. He puts his hand up just like he did in that scene in, in episode eight, second season premiere, when that golden orb shot from his hand and went inside Cooper's mind. It also calls back to Dougie whenever he got annihilated and, and Cooper uh, or Dougie Cooper gets the oh, vision yeah, from the, right. the one-armed man and he holds up like, you got tricked. You like left your soul behind or something. I mean, think of that. Although your soul got taken in the transference, if you consider that. Or you're, you're maybe your enlightened spirit, whatever it is that makes you a spe- special seeker uh, in, among the, the regular humans. You're allowed to be in and out of the lodge because you're like maybe one of the white elders. You're going to... It one day maybe become an agent of the White Lodge, like he's like Major Briggs, or you know maybe the Log. That's what you think or... because of that scene with the very first scene in in the new series with Agent Cooper and, and the Giant um, question marks. You, and we we know we now know that that scene takes place in their domain, the Giant and Senorita Senorita Dido's domain, and uh, we we believe that it was in the future at some point. And you speculated that perhaps that Agent Cooper might be um, an agent for the White Lodge. Do you want to kind of expound on that? Well, no, I heard it from the wrapped in plastic guy, John, whatever his last name is. John Thorne, I think is his name. Yeah, Yeah. that's going around Twitter now. So I like that concept. Um, And it kind of makes sense that maybe he and Major Briggs, that that's their fate. Or that maybe they're already there and this is some retroactive, like, affectation of, like, I don't know. But, like, some people are speculating that maybe, like, Cooper is affecting the story from the white lodge in the future you know there's all kinds of different ways to go with it but i do think that like you know that might be an interesting um fate for him that's not a doomed fate because i'd really like cooper to survive this and have you know some sort of redemption and be able to go not necessarily i mean i'm giving up hope now or not i'm just i'm starting to think that maybe the real cooper is never going to emerge in the real world we'll never see him again as the regular old cooper that we knew ever uh, but maybe up in the white lodge maybe he dies at the end of this and he ends up you know, moving on to the next level and becoming a White Lodge elder spirit himself. Um, or possibly. I mean, the Giants... That's what I'm saying. Like, we've talked about this before. Is like, how can Cooper go back? Like, you know, I mean, after all this, let's say he comes out of the Lodge and Bob's dead and the whole thing. How's he going to go back, like, to Audrey and if he actually did do what he... They're speculating that he did or go back to Diane or all the people that he killed. Like, I would think that, you know, they'd be... They would try his body for murder. They, they still would put him in jail. <laughs> There's no way he's going to convince the court of law that a doppelganger did all this shit. So he's kind of doomed, you know, on Earth, I think. There's really no way for him to go. Well, I think that he is, you know, right smack dab in the middle between the the perceived light of Laura Palmer, the goodness, the, the good spirit, and Bob representing everything that is dark and evil. I think Cooper is smack dab in the middle of that. And, uh, and it's a little bit and, and corrupted because he is Mr. C. We don't just have Agent Cooper proper. We have Agent Cooper, who still isn't Agent Cooper. He's really living the life of Dougie Jones right now. And we have Mr. C, um, who is the personification of evil um, and also Cooper's, Cooper's doppelganger. But I, a, a point I want to make before we go into this a little bit is you were just talking about uh, Dougie and that uh, the gold orb or pearl that he kind of, I guess, is that his, is that supposed to indicate his soul? Because, you know, when he started to like shrink in the chair in the Black Lodge and he burst into like black smoke and that creature, which kind of resembled a cancerous version of Mother's face or the glass box monster's face, like spewed out something and then he was left as the gold pearl. And then the, the, the one our man actually um, put his arm up to like prevent himself from seeing that, but picked up that gold pearl. Do you think that is Dougie's like essence, his soul? 
have and no idea. I, have, I mean, that's what I be... got. I mean, that's what I, I. That's well. Then everyone's got a golden orb in them. That's good. Right. That's enlightening. That's a nice. That's a nice message. But I think it it has some sense of relevancy to maybe Cooper's plight in some fashion that he might need that because I I get the sense that there's going to be some amalgamation between when Agent Cooper eventually kind of at least becomes aware that he is Agent Cooper and not Dougie Jones that he does have this ready-made family and this this life that he's um, living and he's been away for 25 years and he never had a family proper and I think that there's going to be a part of him that will feel um, like as a protector for Janie E and Sonny Jim to some extent I don't think that he's just going to wake up realize he's Agent Cooper and, you know, say, all right, thank you, you know, for the, you know, the, the pancakes and, uh, and and the coffee and, and be on his way. I think that there's some, unless there's some kind of tragic ending with that, which I wouldn't uh, be too surprised since his previous two, you know, girlfriends or women that he loved died tragically. So that that's an interesting parallel. I don't know where it's going to go, but I don't think, I think that there's more, more to that storyline that we're going to see in subsequent episodes. And then there was also one other thing. I'm sorry to, to keep like you know going on. What we were talking about, uh, Laura, or at least I mentioned Laura and Agent Cooper. That scene in the Black Lodge, Laura seemed to be a little bit more you know focused in on Cooper and maybe his relevancy in whatever like uh, kind of master plan is in store. I think Laura Palmer knows more than Agent Cooper just by the fact that you know she seems like a part more powerful spirit or he's not a spirit but a spirit of some sense and she also whispers in his ear which kind of connotes she seems that. in on something she's definitely yeah. knows more than Cooper I would think I don't but know the, the one thing I want to just mention and then we'll wrap this this part of it up that the, the great finale finale of Firewalk With Me is Laura Palmer going through all of that you know just that abuse and molestation just the the pure terror of you know of Bob and all of those experiences and being murdered and losing her angel and then finally you know she's now dead and she's in which the the quiz in which I went to which uh, I got this question wrong they said this pub quiz they said it was the White Lodge I certainly don't believe that but she's in some kind of purgatory of some sort some uh, sort and she sees an angel the angel returns and it's like almost like her guardian angel and who is there with her consoling her but Agent Cooper. So I would think that, I mean, that's certainly canon that that he would remember that because, I mean, didn't he say like, are you Laura Palmer? But you're dead. I mean, he was like, he knew in that scene at that moment of her death, it was, and he wasn't there in the timeline proper because he hadn't even, you know, uh, entered Twin Peaks at that time. But I think with the timeline itself being so nebulous, is it future? Is it past? That Cooper might have always been there. I mean, remember Jeffrey's in Firewalk with me as well. Above the uh, when he was visited Cole and Albert and Cooper, first thing he does basically is he points at Cooper and says, "Who do you think this is here?" I mean, that's a strong indication that a Jeffrey's knows more than you know what's going on uh, than Cooper, but that he senses that either you know Bob is not in him at the time, but he's been around. You know, for a while, or something's going to happen. It's a very mysterious scene. I'll uh, shut up on this now, but um, I just wanted to get those points out. Well, I was thinking about the whole gold gold orb thing, and that gold orbs uh, in people signify good, and that maybe the Bob orb uh, that we saw floating down from the mother signifies ba- uh, bad and evil. Because I was thinking, like the little the the Bob head that comes out of the side of Cooper looks like a round orb. It's the similar thing, right? It's like maybe those bugs. Uh, nest in people's bodies and create like the 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 orb or the the the, the placenta or whatever the uterus for for the evil to form within them and that that's what we saw was that whole orb intact moving out of cooper and almost like it was moving out of his stomach too which is interesting because that's like i know my mom used to read like carlos castaneda and like uh in Carlos Castaneda, which you probably, no one probably knows about but um they would say that like that your spirit is right in your suplex right there like you have to guard that that's where it's all at and uh, that's what where exactly Bob came out of uh, Cooper um, so I'm wondering if, like what that means because it does kind of go into like kind of a Cronenbergian I mentioned that before but this like organic aspect of inhabitation and host their relationship and whether that's going to continue to like you know 
develop in the series going forward. Yeah, it certainly seems uh, very different than this host parasite with Leland and Bob, where obviously we never got anything like that. But I always took it that, you know, Bob was obviously a malignant spirit and he would possess Leland. I don't think he was always in Leland. Leland even said that, like, you know, when he was in, I couldn't remember. And uh, um, when he... uh, yeah, that's basically what he says. So when he was in him, he couldn't remember what he was doing, and, and uh, or he didn't know what he was doing, and then he was gone, he couldn't remember. And this one really seems to indicate that um, Bob is a part of, of Mr. C's, you know, organic material, like part of his like DNA, a part a part of his like organ system. Um, but we also know that um, this is this is Dale Cooper's doppelganger. What we're not entirely certain of, but there is a little meat on the bone to Leland Palmer, who we always knew as Leland Palmer in Twin Peaks, the original series. Was that just Leland Palmer, who was up at Pearl Lakes and said that you know he saw this you know this person that he described as Robertson or, or lived next door? to I discount that because it comes from Leland. <laughs> right, <laughs> a lot. Yeah. he's talking to the cops. Right, <laughs> he's trying to distract. But no, but right? is that is that Leland's doppelganger? Because we saw in the last episode of the original series. Cooper meets who we, at least I assumed, was Leland's doppelganger because he had the the cloudy eyes like all the other doppelgangers. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Leland's doppelganger. Like, what? Tell, give me the history of that because like we've never seen Leland's doppelganger in Earth, right? Always seen well, yeah. Leland inhabited by Bob. Right. I mean, the I always Leland. took it as a malevolent spirit that possessed Leland and caused him to do all these things and then when he got caught but we've seen the doppelganger Leland in the but Black Lodge the in the final episode of the whole series right right and, and he said I did not kill anybody but then maybe that was just Leland I think it was his doppelganger and then I think what the that Leland mean? that we saw in this new iteration was Leland because he didn't have like the cloudy eyes and he seemed like very like remorseful and emotional like fine Laura but yeah, do you remember that, that scene in Fire Walk With Me Right after he kills Laura, there's a shot of Leland walking to Glastonbury Grove, and he goes in the curtains. Right before he goes into the curtains, into the the lodge, the Black Lodge, you see this surreal cutaway of Leland in like kabuki makeup with uh, black lipstick on, <laughs> like kind of like gonna go. Ah! Wait, 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 wait. Go back to the describe that for the audience because I think everybody's forget. I've completely forgotten. It's a little like cutaway. It's very similar to when Laura was with Harold Smith and she's giving him the diary. She yeah, kind of has this moment of being possessed by Bob, and she goes, yeah. "Fire, walk with me." And before she says "me," it cuts to her, and she's got that. I want to say it's kabuki, but it's kind of she a has gray like yellow white teeth makeup or and yellow teeth. Yeah. And it's the same makeup construct that Leland had. And once Leland goes into the lodge right after that, you see the one-armed man and you see um, the man from another place, little Mike, and you see Bob, like you don't see it happen, but when you cut back to Leland, he's elevated in midair mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he has a um, like a blood stain on his stomach. And then you see Bob, like out in in the flesh, and he looks. Oh, you know, like is it in a similar position to where Coop got the Bob orb removed from him? Well, it, it's it's in the stomach area, yes. And, and what I took from that was it maybe, and, and especially now what we just saw in this last, ep- that last episode, what you what you described, maybe that was Leland's doppelganger. And what we didn't see with special effects in that scene was just like a cutaway of Bob coming because we don't know why Leland had that wound. Leland had a stomach wound. It was never really so to me, properly Bob got explained. removed from him, and now he's dead. Or, he's or he removed him. himself from him, either or. But obviously, that's a prequel, and in the series proper, he was back in him. So my question to you is: If this is the if if the woodsman once Mister C was shot, you know, kind of reanimated Bob, or, you know, went to make sure that Bob didn't die, or or just you know performed this kind of ritual to extract him. And if he is extracted from Mr. C, A, you know, where is he? And B, could he be returned possibly to Mr. C? Because it, there is a strong parallel between that scene with Leland and Bob at the end of Firewalk with me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had this theory we talked about a couple of days ago was that what, who would maybe if uh, the Dugpas were ordered by someone, 
like Philip Jeffries, perhaps, or maybe even Mike, uh, the spirit you've talked about, is coming uh, into play. Like they were uh, ordered by those, either one of those two guys to go get Bob back from uh, Bad Coop because Bob wanted to be let out and go play and go crazy, like go full Leland, and that you know Coop is too restrained evil coop is too restrained for him and so that that was like an obstacle it was like going to kill bin laden <laughs> they were, and, they, and maybe it was like uh you know maybe they were planned maybe that was a sacred spot maybe like you know that they were pulled over for a reason to be there i don't know but um, that's a theory i have because who wants bob who wants the bob orb most it's like you know one of those two guys i would think well yeah that goes back to that line where cooper's talk mr c's talking to who he thinks is philip jeffries and jeffrey says you're going back in tomorrow and I will be with Bob again. And we've talked about this a few times. In my opinion, does someone have the Bob orb like in the trunk of the car and they're just driving around with the Bob orb in like a, like a, a igloo cooler? Like ice? So it's, it's not ice? Be return, it's gotta be for it's ice. Not ice. <laughs> they're like, we're losing it. We're losing Bob. We gotta get to the, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, um, but Mike, the spirit is Mike, as we know, was Bob's familiar and they were killing, you know, together back at some point. It would make sense that Mike would could conceivably want to be with Bob again. And the other person that I posited was Leland. But I don't really think there's any real kind of strong traction with that, but it certainly would be interesting. Dude, I it, hope they don't they don't need to be dropping Leland into the storyline. We've got plenty of Don't you want guys. some we Leland? got so I mean, much don't... shit. Like we got a lot of shit. I mean, I know I like Leland like in in the context of Laura's story when we start to see that. Sure. But not like, you know, not like some other like count off all the bad guys that could be coming towards Twin Peaks. We got like eight or nine. So right. I'm not sure we need to bring. So you don't want to guys. add like Leland to it, but well, it, I mean, as a side character, like a little, he has a couple scenes or something. Remember I think one? he, yeah, I think that, that he, I don't want to see his doppelganger in Earth running around. But you know, how was that possible? People are like, isn't that guy dead? What, well, he is, him? but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> did that guy kill Laura Palmer 26 years ago? What's he doing? His eyes are white, or they're black? What's going on? Well, I just don't think that we have all the answers to uh, to you know motive and uh, who's who and. Who has a doppelganger and who doesn't? One thing that we just talked about um, beforehand is that uh, when we were talking on the phone before we started the podcast, I really, really am trying to wrap my head around and I've tried, tried, tried extensively to really kind of figure out some kind of, I wouldn't say rationale, but try to put puzzle pieces together with the Buckhorn crime scene in Ruth Davenport's apartment with her head and Major Briggs's body. And you know where is Ruth Davenport's body, and where is Major Briggs's head? Is it even relevant? But really trying to grapple with that crime scene. But it would be, it, it would be since Bill Hastings said that he had a dream about that place, and I took it that when he had a dream about her apartment, I took it that he had a dream that like he was there the night that she was murdered, and perhaps maybe murdered her in his dream. But, you know, he believes it was a dream. But, you know, evidence points to that he was actually there, hence him being in jail. But those that, that the head of Major Briggs and the body of Ruth Davenport, it's a big question. It's like where that is. And since we're talking about, you know, this is Twin Peaks and we're talking about, you know, abstractions left, abstractions right or whatever. But what if somehow, and I don't know how this is possible, but... If there is some kind of crime scene in Twin Peaks, the town of Twin Peaks, a body is discovered a la Laura Palmer of some sort, but it's not like Laura Palmer mystery. What if like Major Briggs's head or Ruth Davenport's body is found somewhere within the Twin Peaks city limit? It's a way for the Buckhorn investigation to converge on Twin Peaks. Not only that, it would also tie in together with the secret history of Twin Peaks. Uh, Mark Frost's book, which really starts off with the dossier being discovered in and around Twin Peaks at a crime scene. So wouldn't it have some kind of like, you know, narrative weight if, you know, somehow Major Briggs's head or Ruth Davenport's body, you know, Buckhorn resident was found in Twin Peaks and Garland Briggs's dossier was somehow found there? Now, this is pure speculation, but... I'm just trying to come up with you know any kind deputy of Briggs would have to would have to go into rehab uh, after he, if he had to go discover his dad. <laughs> deputy Bobby dad. Briggs, you mean? Yeah, deputy Bobby Briggs. <laughs> yeah, if he'd he start loses, crying immediately. Laura, yeah, right? he would just be straight like just losing it, seeing his dad's head. 
That's it. Well, that's very interesting. I think that's a good way to converge the storyline, but then that begs the question, like, who killed them and how'd their heads get there? Uh, it all ties back to, to Evil Coop, right? I mean, who are the other suspects? Right. Like, I mean, it's got to well, be, it's not Lillard, right? I mean, Lillard well, I may have killed Ruth Davenport, but I don't think Lillard killed Major Briggs. No, no, no. I, I that's the that's the one part of that riddle that doesn't make any sense to me. Is that well, it's like maybe maybe uh, uh, Lillard killed uh, Ruth, and, and maybe he had some Bobbian type. You know, he's obviously his wife's been banging Mr. C, so you know, there's something going on. But uh, maybe he when he did that, that uh, evil Coop, uh, you know, took that as an opportunity to frame him for the Major Briggs thing and just dump Major Briggs like body into the crime scene. Uh, when, because uh, I suspect that uh, the odds are great that uh, Major Briggs and Ruth Davenport were not killed at the same time. In the same yeah, place. but the connection between Briggs and Ruth Davenport really is Bill Hastings. He really is um, kind of the third piece of the triangle with Briggs and Davenport because he possesses somehow a high school pr- uh, principal possesses the magical geographical coordinates that Mister C wants and i think it's tied to major briggs and now hastings's secretary has th- that information and we're gonna have a flashback to like 1990 with like the matthew lillard from scream is like a you know air force like uh you know private <laughs> like working for briggs and they're like take the coordinates son and he's like yes sir that's and that, so that's how the italian used to be in the air you force. know that's so funny you say that because when i've been really trying to put these pieces together i'm like I'm pulling like, you know, I'm pulling shit all over the place. What if Lillard was like, you know, before he became a high school principal, he was like in the Air Force and he like worked under Major Briggs. Yeah. I actually thought of that. That's why it's so <laughs> funny. It is very it funny. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And that's another thing with the, the coordinates um, that's and oh, and oh, come on, not just the coordinates. Right. So all of that, you just tied it together very well. Everything, all that in the stew at the final little ingredient for that stew, just to make it even more fucked up is the gold circle, another gold circle, a wedding ring inscribed to Dougie Jones from, yeah, that's you know, really with love, Janie E. Totally confusing. I mean, that just really just scrambles the whole thing up It almost seems like a red herring, like someone planted, you know what I'm saying? Like, it seems like that, how could that tie in possibly? Well, the only thing that I've been able to make any sense of with that is that when we're introduced to Dougie, that he has, he's wearing the owl cave ring um, on his... Uh, ring finger on his left hand the same ring finger that Teresa Banks uh, wore and uh, and Laura when she put it on when she was murdered so that replaced the wedding his wedding band I mean I'm assuming that you know he was wearing that but at some point something happened there was some kind of transference or whatever and my gut is it you know happened at some point relevant to you know whatever happened in Buckhorn but why would Dougie be in Buckhorn see it doesn't make any sense. The I only think Dougie way better show sense. up, and uh, Dougie better needs to show up in Twin Peaks at some point in this season, or we're going to be really unhappy because that's that means Cooper's not coming back to Twin Peaks. I think you, like Lillard, Cooper, like the whole gang, the Mama, like uh, you know, like the Woodsman, <laughs> right, the Dugpas, right, right. like they're all going to show up at Twin Peaks in like episode thirteen. It's going to be like a Mexican standoff between the actual. You mean the actual trying to get the Dougie, coordinates? Right? Like it's all going to be like it's a mad, 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 mad world. <laughs> the chase to get to the White Lodge coordinates. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, big W in the Glastonbury yeah. Grove. Yeah, yeah, right. No, that's uh, uh, the, I, like I'm saying. I, I'm thinking that the only thing that makes sense with any of that doesn't really make sense. But I just keep on thinking. I just really go back to the one line in Firewalk with Me with Jeffrey said. He said, "We lived inside a dream. Like lived inside a dream." And I think that whole scene that we saw was part of. I wouldn't say like a dream. I'm not going to say an alternate reality, but maybe Jeffrey's perception of like a dream or a different kind of reality. And people speculated that Rancho Rosa was manufactured and Dougie was manufactured and there's alternate timelines. And I don't really subscribe to that. I think that things have moved in uh, not linearly, linearly, linear, linearly, excuse me. I apologize about that. But, um, I think that there might be something to like that classic line from Firewalk with We uh, Firewalk with Me. We lived inside a dream. I think there's going to be a callback to that at some point. Um, we know that one of the future episode titles is Let's Rock. We know one of the future episode titles is Laura is the One. I wouldn't be surprised if that line, not 
you know, being named an episode title, but being uttered by someone, we lived inside a dream, having some kind of relevance to, um, you know, the story at some point. I just really believe that somehow. Well, I mean, now we can transition. I guess we've already been talking about the whole, you know, scope of the series and not just episode eight. But, like, that's one thing I think that at this point after episode eight, like, my expectations slate has been wiped clean because I have absolutely no idea what's going to happen next. And that's what he wants, exactly. But it's very hard to prognosticate because at this point, like, he just blew my mind apart. And so now I'm just sitting here like a innocent, like Dougie, sitting in front of the television, like, waiting for something to happen because. He's uh, it's hard to, to predict which ways he's going to go. So, well, yeah, it's not the I'm thing totally isn't baffled. really trying it. to predict. I mean, it's a mystery and everyone loves mysteries and and solving mysteries. But like living inside a mystery is even better than solving a mystery because it's just so mysterious. But the one thing that really the only real thing about part eight that really um, is like not abstract, but uh, that I, I, I'm very curious to see where they go with it or if they go with it, is the whole, like, bug scene. You know, that insect that hatched in the desert and wound up in the little girl's mouth. I mean, that, I mean, I, I, I pretty much kind of grasp on, you know, the atomic explosion, you know, Mother, uh, Bob, you know, seeing Bob, and the giant and Senorita Dido with Laura. But that bug, you know, is that malevolence? Is that Bob? Does that represent some kind of evil? I mean, uh, certainly you wouldn't think represented, you know, like good or light in some fashion what we have is a unnatural creature corrupting an innocent girl and that's what i originally took it as is a basically pure like symbolism what we're seeing because i don't think that's sarah palmer i don't think it's the log lady i don't think it's like the uh, laura laura palmer before mrs. Tremont? or mrs tremont I don't, I don't believe any of that i don't think that just like with you know theories of um mr c uh, you know, sexually assaulting Diane and you know birthing or fathering a baby with Audrey while she was you know in a coma. I just think those are two like the, the soap opera tropes. I don't think that you know they're going that this was the original series and possibly because it was more in line with the soap opera tropes. But we're not getting any soap opera tropes in this new narrative. But this bug thing, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Is you know do you think this is a retconning of uh, of the host parasite? Or do you think it very well may be like a character and it's going to play some kind of like, you know, importance in future episodes? Uh, well, we talked about this last episode. I Did think we? It, it, yeah, I think oh, you don't okay. think it is. And I think it might be. I, like I said, I thought, you know, Dickie Horn could pull one out of his mouth at some point. Oh, it just seems like that that's, that's right. what, uh, <laughs> why would they put it in there unless there is some tie in to, you know, the story. And I think they've given us a few hints. So, I mean, they might, but I think that would definitely be a complete change in terms of how we view the lodge spirits. And if it becomes like this, they're organically attached and there's actually like a, a real parasitic organism that carries the black lodge, uh, you know, placenta into each person that allows the evil to grow within like, yeah, okay, I'll go with it. But, uh, you know, maybe that they, I just, but I, weren't I there like it, I think it literally might. like hundreds of those eggs? That's what I mean. It's not just that one girl. I think there's a whole right. fucking shitload of them. And so that's the thing is like, what does that mean? I have no idea. But maybe well, I would, like one thing I was thinking about, or another thing that I was thinking about is the previous episode ended, and I don't think we talked about it. I think we talked about it on an aborted podcast. Remember the episode or part seven ended at the Double R Diner? Um, and uh, I, like Lynch's son, like popped in in another cameo, Bing. Bing, and he shouted like, or didn't he? Didn't he shout like, you know, anyone see Bing? And like, just, just took everyone off see and, Bobby or everyone see something? Somebody else's name? It wasn't Bing. I think people thought it was Billy. That thought he said yeah, Billy, Bing. but I think he said Bing, and then he's credited as Bing. But that's not really relevant. But I heard the, the subtitles had that wrong, and that everybody thought it was Bing because of the subtitles, but they really it was Billy. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's it. But I really liked, I thought it was a great um, closing scene to see the diner. It felt like the calm before the storm because we had that great song, Sleepwalk, by Santo and Johnny, I believe. But there was this um, track that was an undercurrent, you know, that was laid underneath that that's, um, the, the Sleepwalk song, which was actually a um, cue from the, the second season which I attributed to um, like the Wyndham Earl theme. I don't think it is called the Wyndham Earl theme, but it's very like haunting and menacing. And I just took, and I think we talked about this, but it wasn't recorded, um, that 
here it is at the diner, the classic, you know, iconic, you know, uh, staple of Twin Peaks. And you know, people are generally happy. They're conversing and being, you know, served. And we see Shelly and Norma. And we have that just little weird moment with the Bing Billy scene or whatever. And then we have, you know, this great soundtrack, Sleepwalk, with this underbelly, this menace coming. And, and I, I attribute it to, like, the calm before the storm, that there's going to be some event that happens very soon that's going that might be on par of the Laura Palmer mystery that's going to shake you know the the foundation of the town again and the emotional states of many of the characters but where I'm going with this that song sleepwalk just the song itself sleepwalk and thinking of the last episode with the Dugpas slash woodsmen coming to that town descending from pure air and going to the radio station and basically hypnotizing the, the the town citizens, at least the few that we see, lulling them to sleep, that I think it's, I, I, I don't think that, I think it's somehow tied into that, that there's a theme going on here, this innocence within that, in Twin Peaks again, and in this town, that there's this underlying menaces, menace, and Lynch is giving us the cue of the sleepwalk, and that classic gotta light woodsman mantra um you know the water is whatever that is what is the water is full or the water's the water whatever i'm not going to repeat it yeah i don't have that memorized yeah but that that's what i'm getting is that that's and and here we are almost at the half point and i think that that's what lynch is saying is like hey look you thought i blew the doors off this episode but wait i think he's going to blow the doors off not only visually in some other moments but more emotionally for like you know some of our characters uh yeah, I think that's very interesting. I think this is you can tell he gave me us, I'm like off my rocker. That's fine. It's you can say it. It's okay. You can say it. Well, no, I mean, really, you could say anything. Like, you could say an aardvark uh, from the White Lodge is going to take over, like you know, Josie's spirit, <laughs> and then start working at the Double R Diner, and I'll be like, oh, all right. Like I can't. That's what I'm He's really set the. He has blown apart like the uh, entire construct of the series. And I think I did read that same guy from Unwrapped in Plastic or whatever said that like he's re. He's basically re constituted the entire series and like everything is going to be different going forward like he's changed the game somehow but i don't know how he's changed it you know i'm still here sitting here left in awe but i have no fucking clue what's going to happen next i honestly don't well, i think he's i know more dougie it. i can tell you that <laughs> well yeah we're going to get more dougie of course but i mean I, I i don't know what was it an article was it a podcast that you listened to what was it that you're God, I think it was called Twin the, Peaks Unwrapped, I think. And the guys, the two guys had the, uh, the guy from Wrapped in Plastic on. And he, and then I, I started following him on Twitter because they, they talked about the uh, Cooper being an agent of the White Lodge. They talked about some, a lot of interesting stuff. So, Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm not familiar. There's one quick uh, aside. Um, I lived in a town where, or Murphy and I lived in a town where Wrapped in Plastic, which is a, a great, was a fanzine that was created right after Fire Walk With Me premiered. Um, the, the two guys, it was John Thorne, who you just talked about, and then I think his partner's name was Craig Miller. Well, they actually lived in the same town. They created that magazine in the town. How did we never meet those up. guys? I never met them. Right? I know, right? Did but you? I was going to – no, I never did, but I was, uh, I was in college. We were both in college. Pre-internet. Pre-internet. And I was taking a, a writing class, and uh, uh, really the only creative mentor I've ever had, Andy Anderson – um, great, great teacher, great, great mentor. Even though it was a total fuck up, and uh, really, was just, he the uh, one that failed you for your documentary, your fake documentary? No, 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 no. But he gave me, he failed me on my. I, I was supposed to give a pitch one day, and uh, like I had to meet him and another like legitimate like industry type at uh, at a restaurant, and I was supposed to pitch them an idea, and I didn't take it seriously. I just started, like everything else. I just tried to wing it, and I went in there without any real like kind of you know idea of what I was you know doing or saying just thinking like I could bullshit my way through it and these guys were like total pros and they could see right through me and just kind of like you know it was like what who does this guy think he is and like I, afterwards in the club when I talked to him was like you're a total idiot what are you talking you totally blew it I mean you're like f but he was like he would you know, he didn't <laughs> that's he your didn't, second uh, f story f. or your oh, third yeah, f, f story if you're talking about well did you get an f on your 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 speech you get but we took a speech class or no something? i think i got like a c on the that one. Peaks i think story? i got no, yeah, yeah. yeah. but um but just to wrap up the the wrapped in plastic so in his class he knew that i was a big lynch fan and i believe one of the guys either john thorne or craig miller like knew uh andy anderson professor anderson 
either from another class or somehow in, in you know the local like you know film community there and they had given him the like the first printing like one of the first copies of the wrapped in plastic and, and Andy Anderson knew that I was a Lynch fan and he gave me that copy he gave me his copy I didn't know it existed and it was great and this became wrapped in plastic became like preeminent or you know like very like high highly touted in the Twin Peaks community that these these magazines that went on for years are like traded and and still like you know poured over and these guys are very bright guys and uh, so it's interesting that they're from the town that Murphy and I grew up in it's very yeah, and I really like that one idea of him uh, being an agent of the White Lodge. So that was why I mentioned him. So shout out to the Wrapped in Plastic guys. So, I'm sorry we never met you at the Waffle House or uh, the other places that we could have met around the country town. kitchen. <laughs> don't know how that didn't happen. Um, yeah, I don't know about the uh, the agent of the White Lodge. How would that? How would you? Well, I just think that there's no way he can stay on Earth. That's what I mean. And so the, if, if we're going to give him some sort of blue velvet, uh, wild at heart type of positive ending, which I think everyone is really begging for that at least uh maybe he will ascend you know like you're talking about uh you know spiritualism and whatnot like being able to uh to basically do his duty get his redemption whatever you want to call it here on earth and that he's allowed to to move on from this earthly plane to the next plane instead of going the next plane being you know major briggs is floating ahead it could be or something bad it's actually him hanging out with the giant senior dido up in the white lodge and and he instead of just chilling out listening to music and whatnot making orbs his job is to be an agent of the white lodge and so when there's like things that need to be addressed like the bomb like i would think you know something like that in the future like they'll send out coop or maybe even briggs too so i think that's an interesting concept but he he would be his like, ultimate fate you know but he would be in a positive life he would be killed or he would die but he would die but spirit. it would be a good ending you know saying it'd be die but I it would see. be a positive ending an up ending that's is that cool. your theory or is that the theory that you heard from that podcast uh well i don't really remember him actually i don't see i don't remember them actually going into it that deeply but i think they just kind of po- posited that oh, so okay. i'm not okay. sure if they went that far in this but that's kind of my speculation in terms of how it ends so i don't think they got that far but i do think that would be a positive way to end it and while also having cooper die which i think kind of is needs to happen because it's going to be a little awkward <laughs> with right. a lot of people, you know, so that's my at least uh, well, three um, right now. Something I, I, you know, that I think will be addressed that I, the, you know, the, the reality that we have, you know, eight, you know, Cooper and Mr. C, uh, you know, in the same realm, which apparently they're not, not allowed to coexist. And I think that's part of the, you know, the, the, the evolution of the arm, his line of non-existent. But do you think now that, Bob, we still don't know 100%, but it's you know likely that Bob was extracted from, from Mr. C. That, you know, then now we're just seeing like the, the true shadow self of Agent Cooper, like his doppelganger and everything that's like, you know, dark about him. That in order for Cooper to kind of wake up or to, you know, become fully formed again, that there's got to be some kind of, see, I thought it was going to be like some kind of like conflict, like a battle, um, like the two Kirks fighting each other in one of those Star Trek episodes. <laughs> but um, that, that there's going to be some kind of merging or something, some kind of amalgamation, some kind of weird Lynchian kind of amorphous kind of where Cooper accepts, you know, his shadow side or triumphs over it somehow. Um, Maybe they're playing a chess game on the beach. <laughs> in black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so he loves Bergman. I mean, so um, it's I wouldn't Speaking put it backwards. But, yeah, I mean, what, would, what do you think the final lodge match is going to be? Is it going to be a Quidditch match like <laughs> Harry Potter? It's going to be, what are they going to do? Bowl? Bowl with the golden orbs, the bob head, the bob bowling ball, and the gold, Laura bowling ball? And like, you, you actually mentioned it earlier off, 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 offline. You were talking about in the Firewalk With Me scene when you talk, look at that green Formica table scene with uh, little Mike on the left and Bob on the right. And oh, you see yeah. all the live spirits in the background that if you split them right down the middle, right, that you see like this kind of uh, Avengers thing, like Avengers United or whatever the fuck the, the movie was where Iron Man was versus like, you know, Captain America and they all had to take sides so that your implication is that the 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 lodge spirits are divided? Yeah, right? if you yeah if you split if you there's one like master shot of that scene when you have the man from another place and Bob at the table and the opposite sides of the table. If you and then the other lodge spirits in the background. If you like you know draw a line like right center through that table and through the back wall, you would see the two woodsmen um, with the fake ZZ Top beards on Bob's side. 
And then you would see the Tremons, a.k.a. Chalfonts, the electrician, and the jumping man, who's wearing the same suit as the man from another place, but is not him. I always thought that might represent Mike. They're on his side. So it didn't make, I mean, I, I know this, this shot you know, well, but I didn't really think about it until this last scene, this last episode, and seeing really, you know, the, the woodsmen, you know, I guess maybe an origin story for them, like not necessarily how they were created, but just seeing them, you know, in like our realm, so to speak, that they certainly, I think, are more, you know, malevolent creatures and would probably be on the side of Bob. And obviously that, you know, that whole scene with Mr. C, they were responsible for, you know, either bringing him back to life or extracting him or whatever with, with you know, at that, that, that whole scene. But they're lying together. So I, when I looked at that shot again, it was like, okay. And I don't know if Lynch thought of that at the time. I, it, very well he did. But I do think that's interesting because the other characters, the, the Tremons, the other electrician, and the Jumpy Man, they, I mean, even though we don't know much about the electrician and the Jumpy Man, at least the Tremons, they could be, you know, construed as like, you know, maybe on the side of good. I mean, they try to help uh, the Donna Hayward character in their introduction scene. And uh, in Firewalk with Me, they always they help gave... in a creepy way, though. Yeah, but they're no lodge spirits, helps. right? Yeah, but that. Uh, well, I guess they're been. black. They're benevolent black lodge spirits because they're not in the white lodge. They're in the black lodge. You're like right. There's no white well, lodge black lodge convergence black... at the convenience store. That's this. Con... Right? Well, the convenience store, I don't think, is you know has any relevancy to the black lodge. But is it like the UN Council or something? The place in the Hague, you know, where they all like the <laughs> workaround. They all got to right, go. The yeah. both sides come and hammer things out. Is that what you it's think? Uh, it's one of their secret meetings. And you thought you speculated that that scene that we saw at the convenience store with all the woodsmen, you know, uh, going in and out, that that might have been the the moment. Even though we didn't go in there to see one of their meetings, where they kind of invoked Bob, you know, Bob, like your channeled Bob or summoned Bob, you know, to their realm, and it might have been represented with that 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 egg that hatched. Possibly. Even well, I yeah, I mean, that. that's, that's the implication. That's the interpretation I got was that maybe they were invoking Bob, like especially if they are indeed the Dudpas, you know, which that the primary goal is to like conjure evil through chance. Yeah, they're like magical sorcerers. They're brainwashing. Yeah, they do all kinds of things and they don't inhabit bodies. So, yeah, so they brainwash. So they also like, you know, like witches. They were doing their little ritual because the very next scene is the mother, which because it worked, I guess, because Bob comes. Right, it goes back to that's exactly it goes to the mother right after that. Do you think they were there at the convenience store for like fifty years until Bob was born and became evil? Like is the egg, is, was there a baby Bob, evil spirit that hatched out? <laughs> uh, no, because there I was mean, no reports of Bob uh, running amok in the world at all. Uh, uh, in prior the to Leland? history, yeah, the, the, the secret history. Of well, you've talked Leland. about Denver Bob, thinking that that yeah, might that be. was interesting. But now I'm not thinking. Obviously, that's kind of a theory that might be shot. I'm not sure that's true anymore. That might just be a, a they, they were named the same thing <laughs> and that they well, dress the uh, the convenience store. If you if you notice, if you watch the scene again, he cuts back and forth between like the the woodsman not being there and the woodsman being there. But if you really pay close attention to that scene when the woodsmen aren't present you still see like the door like opening and shutting um like you know they're going in but like the spirits you're not seeing and i took that um to mean we live inside the dream because that line was said in firewalk with me which i talked about a few minutes ago um led to or was talked about when we saw that convenience store scene i thought it was another callback or another clue that what we're seeing here is Two, I want to say realities, but you know, a, a reality and maybe a sub-reality or a dream. Because I think that in Lynch's mind, perhaps like those woodsmen from like that, they were always in that scene, but we only saw them, you know, when he showed it to us. But we still saw that door opening and shutting. I think it's like like they're like they're able to descend from pure air. You know, they're able to you know materialize at will or disappear. And I just think that was a part of the whole like formation of that, you know, visual motif. Uh, well, you mentioned an interesting thing about like it all being inside of a dream. Like you had told me before the season even was began about a story about maybe the last scene, perhaps uh, of the series being shot in Paris. Do we want to, describe... do you want to tell someone like that? People might like freak out if, 
Oh, you really think that's actually that we'd be right? No, that I you don't and know. I know. You and I somehow. Well, don't you think the world? Like, do you really think that you and I know the ending of Twin Peaks? No, <laughs> but so. it, it's, it's. I don't think that's the way it's going to work. Well, it's, let's set I, it up. Let's set it up briefly. Is that there's? Yeah, I this, think it's not like some top secret thing. It's like. Well, I agree because. Because well, let's set it up. There's a documentary called David Lynch: The Art Life, and it's about David Lynch and the art life. There's a scene in this documentary. Uh, where he's cutting some wire and he's putting at one point he puts it atop this legal pad and on the legal pad you can clearly see what he had been writing and it's Twin Peaks there is a couple of scene descriptions and one of the uh, scene descriptions goes into some potential spoiler territory now we don't know if it's the last scene because I think the reason why you might have said that because if you were following the production of Twin Peaks I think the final thing that they shot was in Paris. And this really isn't, if you pay close attention, this really isn't a spoiler because if you look at the credits, each credit sequence at the very bottom, it says like, this uh, this film was um, uh, benefited from... The Paris like, Film Commissioner. Yeah, yeah, yeah France, the tax yeah. rebates or rebates from the, the French Film Commission or whatever. So, I mean, come on. I mean, you know, and it also says the same thing about Washington State and about California. So they shot in France. But... Really, if if anyone doesn't want to know this, I mean, this could just be a big ruse or whatever. But you know, yeah, turn off your turn. Go mute for the next uh, minute. Mute for a, a minute, couple, but, couple minutes, and let, we're going to tell you what we think. Well, there's one thing I don't think I told you. I think I sent you a screenshot, but maybe you were able to read it. But there's two real scenes, and one scene I think describes. There's a character's name, and it looks like it's Grace, um, meaning Grace Abrisky, like Sarah Palmer. It could be George, but I took it to mean Grace because. This, the, the, the scene that's described is this character is watching a TV and is watching like a bowling alley. And in the documentary... <laughs> the bowling yeah, bowling. Or watching, or watching right. bowling. Right. In the documentary Between Two Worlds, um, I think the last... The, the, the DVD, the Blu-ray that came out, Lynch did this piece with uh, Grace Abriski, Cheryl Lee, and Ray Wise in character. And then he interviewed them afterwards. And he was like, you know, basically he was interviewing them and like, what has been going on in your life for the last 25 years? Two dead people and, and Sarah Palmer, Laura Palmer and, and, and Leland. And Sarah Palmer had said that she still lives in the same house and she watches a lot of bowling on TV. Like he wrote that line. So if you look at the, if you look at <laughs> it the, is uh, happening. yeah, if you look at that legal pad, someone is watching bowling on TV and then it says that. The camera goes into the TV and the TV becomes the reality or the film becomes the reality. And then it cuts to Paris and at a sidewalk cafe, Gordon Cole, Lynch's character, is talking to Monica Bellucci. He actually writes Monica Bellucci. And they're talking about, we lived inside a dream. And basically, they're trying to figure out, well, if we lived inside the dream, like whose dream are we living in? And then there's a little, there's another section where Lynch writes that then we see like, you know, Agent Cooper, but Cole can only see the back of Agent Cooper, like his black suit. And then it ends and that's what it is. So we don't know if this is some big ruse, cutting room floor. Or well, I think the implication action. is that maybe, because uh, they, I thought you mentioned something about the dreamer and that Cooper was. Oh yeah, that's right. Like who's, right. It's it's basically, who well, who's the dreamer? It's like we lived inside the dream. If we're living a dream, like who is... Who is dreaming us? Who is the dreamer? Who's dreaming and, in? Yeah, and, and and the insinuation was at least from you know that that you know note on his legal pad was that it was Cooper, but it wasn't. You know, we only saw the back of Cooper. So I mean, I'm not reading too much into. It. I mean, it, it could be he obviously Lynch allowed that to be in the documentary. So I don't. I think it was a huge spoiler. He would say like it didn't have any relevance to that documentary. He just told the director to cut it out, but. So I do recall seeing something on Twitter or something about them being in Paris and like Coop and uh, Monica Bellucci and Peter Deming and you know, Lynch. Well, not Monica Bellucci, but yeah, but McLaughlin, Deming, and uh, and Lynch. And yeah, they definitely shot in Paris. I mean, it's in the credits, like like we just discussed. Well, it's interesting but. speculation, but uh, you know, Denizen of the White Lodge. You know, we, got, we could be on the side of his head dreaming. You know, there's all kinds of ways where we could be. You know, really happening, but uh, it's going to be compelling to see how it all ends. Uh, yeah. I'm just sitting sit back <laughs> my popcorn right. and just watch it. Cause what I'm do you think that, yeah. like, the, the Twin Peaks arc, the characters in Twin Peaks, I mean, you know, the familiar characters, really, other than the police department, 
don't really have a narrative arc. Um, we get maybe a little bit of you know something maybe going on between Shelley and Red, but other than that, it's primarily the new characters. It is Red. It's Little Dicky Horn. Um, it's you know whoever Linda is at the Fat Trot Trailer Park with uh, with Carl Rod. We and and there is the, the the hum at the Great Northern, but we don't really have a strong narrative. You know, like you know, core to the Twin Peaks community. Do you think that there will be something? Do you think like there will be like a body discovered? There will be a crime, or you know, do you think that Twin Peaks is just going to play like a role for when you know all these other plot elements from Buckhorn and New York and Mr. C and Dougie Coop show up in Twin Peaks, and that's going to be really kind of uh, well. I have no idea. I have no idea. But you mentioned earlier offline about uh, the screenshot of Episode Two with Coop uh, getting the coordinates or no, the plans for the Yankton Federal Prison. That he also tell that story because that could be how it leads. Uh, yeah, we could go straight. Oh, I don't know about this. I don't. <laughs> I, I was, but wait, uh, so wait, but isn't it bizarre if the truth, if what these guys uncovered in that scene, frame by frame, is true? That itself is is news. It Isn't is, it? yeah. Well, yeah, because it's it took. I mean, I I'm not scouring, you know, the Twin Peaks forums like I would normally do if I wasn't doing this podcast. But I did uh, stumble upon something that uh, on on a forum that said that um, on the Reddit on the Reddit forum, basically some guy did a like a shot by shot or frame by frame snapshot of when Mr. C after he killed Dario and he's downloading the schematics from the Yankton Federal Prison that there's two images of like the nuclear reactor like the blueprints or the schematics of a nuclear reactor so it wasn't just the federal prison that he was you know the, the information that he was downloading that there was also additionally like you know two shots of a nuclear reactor. Yeah, the reactor. blueprints of how to yeah, penetrate of, yeah. a nuclear reactor. Uh-oh. That yeah, could so, be that could tie into something. There, and also you also mentioned that there's a nuclear reactor near Twin Peaks. Right? Well, I didn't know that until reading the secret history of Twin Peaks Mark Frost's mm. book that there is and I can't remember the name of it. There is a nuclear reactor near Twin Peaks. I don't know if it's you know closer to Seattle. I don't know the ge- the geography of it, but you know interesting that you know he you know, created that he wrote that book that he put that in there. That might be a little, a little morsel for us. You know, or it might uh, tie into. Yeah, I don't want a nuclear meltdown. I don't want a nuclear. Island. You were talking about like a, like a bond ending, right? That. Uh, well, I mean, people like I thought about people. I mean, wanting to get to the White Lodge if it's like a mad, 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 mad world that they're all trying to get. Right. They all like, so they want their they want uh, to get there for different reasons. Some people maybe want to join in and be have good intentions or whatever, but a lot of people maybe have bad intentions. And so maybe they could try, or someone may want to nuke the whole damn thing so you can't get in. I mean, I don't know. I have no idea. Do you want to talk uh, about the thing that you discovered, the Moonlight Sonata? Because I find that very interesting. Well, I think a and lot of people Q, know that. that Ray Q, that, that, that thing that you uh, Yeah, like they sped some, I can't remember who it was, apologies, but uh, someone like sped up that scene with Cooper and the Dugpas when Ray shoots him. Uh, and Bob gets removed, um, and they sped up the the, the sound effect. The, the soundtrack is just amazing. I could not figure out what it was. It was so strange and odd, and uh, they sped it up, and it's Moonlight Sonata by, was it Tchaikovsky or Beethoven or one of Beethoven. those guys? So, yeah, and at the very end of the scene, someone sped up the whole thing so that Moonlight Sonata was in tune and on you know meter or whatever, and so when you, you speed it up, um, you hear a giant monkey at the end of it screeching, Right when Ray is freaking out, and it goes back to the whole like and we are the animals or the animal connection with the horses and the owls and you know monkeys and so there that's an interesting uh, discovery from someone. Uh, Judy, the, yeah, Judy. yeah, that's scary. You just no that monkey yeah. at the end of Fire yeah. Walk with Me. Judy is a monkey. Utters yeah. Judy. Yeah, I a think that that mask. I think that we're still going to get the the reference to Judy. I think I mean, now that we've got, I mean, we've had Philip Jeffries mentioned. Um, we've now seen the convenience store. Um, the third piece of the puzzle, I think, is Judy. I think that she's very Wouldn't relevant kind of, to the I mean, story. Dude, but she's not been mentioned at all, ever. Isn't that weird that she would pop up here at the end? Like that she's is she uh, be, uh, is she good or bad or what is she? she well, she's tied into Jeffries, or she's yeah. tied in with Jeffries. Yeah. Um, well, she's mentioned in Fire Walk with Me. I mean, well, she was mentioned yeah, in the never missing seen pieces though. of Fire and the monkey uttering her. Her name, Judy. Yeah, and the fanboys think that maybe she's Josie's twin or something. Well, I think <laughs> that was because that was the the co-writer of Fire Walk with Me, Robert Engels, 
said that I think that's where they were leaning towards. But um, I think some people speculate that if, if Laura or if Cheryl Lee as uh, character is reincarnated and it's not Laura Palmer, that she might play Judy as well. So I, I, I don't know. But um, I do think that we're going to, you know, this is something that just popped into my head this very second. You know, I, I, what if the little girl in New Mexico, what if that's Judy? Sure. It could be anything. <laughs> That's what I mean. I mean it could be I an mean, aardvark from space not? jumping in. It could be anything. <laughs> You're going back no... with the aardvarks. Why are the yeah. aardvark, aardvarks? You know? uh, I don't know. I'm just throwing things out there. But the whole thing is like, you know, even after now, this is our third hour of, uh, you know, giving critical analysis of the last uh, episode. And we're nowhere closer to knowing where we're going to be. But uh, I can't wait to get there. Uh, you know, we got another wait week to wake. Do you have any final thoughts uh, for this episode? Well, I just think that the last episode was... I mean, so brilliant on so many different levels, but um, and and obviously it didn't, you know, unfold narratively, you know, sub, you know, with the you know the previous. I mean, it was a completely different beast. It was almost like completely self-contained, a whole new um, timeline, a whole new set of like mysteries that, and it was just done in such a you know genius fashion. Um, it's just conceptual uh, with you know being conceived and and how it was you know, revealed to us that we could speculate for, you know, days, weeks, years. And I have no problem talking about this episode. It's going to be, it'll probably be the, you know, in the top two or three, and we still have 10 to go, that I will, you know, watch repeatedly, like just like randomly, like, you know how you and I watch, like if we have to go back to the original series, we both go to the second season premiere episode what eight is that it is that what it is yeah that's episode my eight? favorite yeah so i mean we all that's it like, last night yes <laughs> so that would <laughs> be for right now i mean i just because i for me the the lynch like you know i'm i'm a huge twin peaks fan but i'm also a huge like david lynch filmmaker fan so it for me it combined the best of both worlds even though you know the story did other than the nine, nine inch nails the that, you know, less said you know, about hey, that. You know, I part. went and listened to like the, that, that song on Spotify with my headphones and uh, the lyrics, like I thought she was they're saying she's a whole, but she, she's gone away. Like this, the lyrics are perfect for Laura. Like, dude, it's a very peaksy. And if you listen to the lyrics, I think it's a very effective song. Um, I like the way that even Sharon Bennett, there's a bunch of other songs that have been used. And if you listen to the lyrics of them, they're spot on. So someone's, uh, you know, curating that very well. And I applaud them, even though you're giving whoever that is a lot of hate and saying they suck. It's just not my thing. I just don't well, like that style no of music. Yeah. And I don't, it's, I feel like, like every second is of material is very precious. And, and I understand. I, I mean, it makes sense. I like the kind of like the interludes. It's almost like an interlude between episodes. And right. especially with the, you talked about the Nine Inch Nails scene being like coming off the real you know, bizarre scene of, of the Dugpas reviving Mr. C. You almost need to have like a, a moment to like, you know, just sit back, relax and, and process what you just saw. What better way of doing it than having like a musical interlude? <laughs> but I, I, I would I rather I relaxed. Like, <laughs> but well, it was, uh, well, no, it's kind right. of intense. And I think it leads into, it starts giving you singing in your ear about Laura and that she's coming, you know, that she's, you know, that's what, that's what that story, that's what that song was about. Well, I just like the Sharon Benetton song was about like I can't wake up, you know, and it was about wow. Dougie. So I think that if you listen to the lyrics, I think you might, uh, you know, at least at least give it a little more um, props for being, you know, moving the narrative forward in a creative way, even though you're not digging the music. But it's a uh, it's a choice he made, and you know, just respect him a little bit. Hey, he's seventy. Can't you get into <laughs> some new music? You're still listening to music on reel to reel from pre nineteen seventy eight, right? Well, pre like nineteen eighty one. Yeah, give 81? me a more years. What was, what was the eighty one? Was like the eighty one was like Michael Jackson Thriller. What was the last last modern album or mass modern era you're into? I think the last real like, you know, album that I bought from that era was Synchronicity by the police. It was like eighty three maybe? I would thought it would be like the the Ghostbusters soundtrack track with Ray Parker Jr. I thought that would be the last. No, I, I would buy movie era. soundtracks, yeah. like the Beetlejuice soundtrack, yeah. the Manhunter soundtrack. I wouldn't buy like albums. I would buy like movie soundtracks. So after yeah. I think synchronicity was a lot, but, but when I got a CD player, I, I you know like, like some Beatles, I got like the White Album, and I do have some. Well, I do rock. listen to Spotify, and they have a great Twin Peaks, uh, you know, like they've got lots of playlists, but they they've got all the songs, and I'm loving it. So just like the original series, I'm enjoying the music of Twin Peaks. The original I would just much, prefer so personal like personality. 
personal preference, I would rather have that five-minute scene of the traffic light with the ominous, like, electrical, like, <laughs> yeah. hum sound design, like, swaying, the, the, the traffic light swaying. I'd rather see what that. If there was, what if there was a guy sweeping at Peanuts and the Nine Inch Nails were playing? Would you have been into that scene? No, it's 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 the music. It's not. I mean, it's not, I just don't like the music. It's I don't just like you're that being music. a music Nazi. Yeah, you're you're just hating on it. But I like yeah. certain type of music, and I don't like that. But that's just a personal preference. I don't. Right. I'm not judging like Lynch or Dean Hurley, who I think is actually like, uh, you know, cultivating these these artists and and these tracks, I or really at least helping Lynch. I think so. I think I, I read an interview with him about that. That he's you know at least yeah. I think he maybe turns Lynch on to certain things or whatever. But uh, well, but yeah, Hurley, if you're listening, preference. you're invited on the show, and we can discuss this with Tom. I'd love to have you on <laughs> and uh, give you a lot of praise for your musical choices. I think it's really fantastic. But we've got a guy over here that just you got to convince a little bit. All right, you guys. We'll see you next time. Uh, maybe we're gonna do. I think we're gonna do a retrospective episode uh, on episode three and four that we haven't gotten to. So yeah, we're gonna do. We didn't do three and four proper, and I think we're gonna do that. And then, uh, once you give everyone the heads up on, yeah, uh, you guys can check us out on iTunes, uh, Podcast Addict, at uh, SoundCloud. Uh, we also have our email. You can send us your feedback, questions, thoughts uh, to choppingwoodinside at gmail.com. So we'd love to hear from you. We'd have love to hear from just one person to know that you're out there alive uh, that, and you're listening to this. That would make us feel like we're not just uh, winking into the void. So uh, we hope to hear from that, and we'll see you guys next time.